I recently stumbled across this podcast called Through the Gray. It is a similar podcast to the old grad podcast, but it profiles the class of 2001. I reached out to the founder of Through the Gray like he was a long lost brother. And here's my conversation with him. I'm just trying to be a father, raise a daughter and a son, be a lover to their mother, everything to everyone. Up and at them bright and early I'm all business in my suit Yeah, I'm dressed up for success Hey, Joe, you there? Yeah, you probably can't see me very well. <laughs> I can't. That's fine, though. That's fine. You're out in your uh, car, huh? So um, we've got a separate property about five miles away from my house, and I live in the um, southeast corner of JBLM. So there's this reservation out there called the, uh, what do we call this place? The McKenna uh, Forest Reserve. Right. And when I moved here four, five, dang, seven years ago, um, we were right on the edge of it and didn't realize that when we purchased the house, we were in this reservation. And so there's like somewhere around uh, 1,200 to 1,500 acres of these 20 acre plots. And each one of these plots um, has like a dirt road that goes to the back of it. Bottom line is you, when I grew up as a kid uh, doing Boy Scouts and hunting and fishing and camping with my dad, um, this is what I remember most about being a kid. And to get a house on this was absolute gold. And then we had the opportunity uh, about a year and a half ago to buy another 20 acre plot and I had to jump on it. Um, So that's where I'm at now is we call it 77 because it's it's plot 77. Um, But when I need to do like a podcast or I need to get away to do work, um, it's great cell phone signal. It's the middle of nowhere, Um, just trees and, and nature. And right now pitch black. (laughs) That's incredible. That's incredible. Well, despite the fact that I can't see you, I feel like I'm, I'm fine. I feel like I'm being reconnected like with a long lost relative or something, you know, like uh, uh, having, having learned of, your your passion for interviewing your classmates and uh, it's just it's so it's been so incredible to get to know you through your podcast so far what um what percentage of the so there i was have you listened to i probably listened to now what i mean to all of the podcasts or the portions of there, no shit there i was which is something you use it seems to come up all over and over again i, so I probably no, listened to 10 of your podcasts at least 10 okay so um I get a, a, the question from my classmates quite a bit. Um, when are you going to have someone interview you? And the answer is, is I'm interviewing myself to the no shit there I was. And so as the podcaster, you're like the Supreme Allied commander, the dictator of the podcast. Right. So I, I choose to tell my story in 20 minute blocks. Yeah. Well, I, I too have gotten that question. When are you going to get your story? And I, I have two answers for that. Like my, my one buddy said, um, this is a guy that I've, you know, I've known obviously since like, you know, plea beer, we've, we've been through a lot of, uh, we've been in, th- in some, in some dark places together. Uh, and, uh, I said, my last podcast is going to be you interviewing me because then it's going to be that that's when I lose complete credibility is when the, the final <laughs> podcast. And the other thing too, I mean, um, I lost my dad like seven years ago or six years ago. Uh, I hope my mom lives forever. Right. But I probably would not want my mom listening to my podcast because I, I just there's too much too much uh, stuff that she still doesn't know that uh, probably would be better to leave have her leave this earth you know not knowing that she'd be she you know so anyway that's uh 
I'll probably wait a few more years, you know, before I do myself. Uh, we'll see, see, I screwed that up. Uh, I, so the one of the so there I was, I had a, uh, an ambush in Iraq where it haunted me for a long time, but it was also a turning point um, on taking my job and my role more seriously. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I published that one. And uh, uh, lo and behold, my, my parents actually do listen to my podcast. <laughs> right. Um, but that was one where like when you're a platoon leader and you're trying to do the whole platoon's job, but not your job. And so I was trying to do everybody's job from double checking the privates to double checking my NCOs to double checking, but it wasn't just double checking. It was like quadruple checking. It was like turning wrenches. It was just stupid. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't doing the IPB necessary to understand, Hey, these are the bad spots of Iraq. Don't go here. If you do go here, make sure you don't stumble into it. Make sure you're very deliberate. And I, I, we got a call um, that an MP unit had been ambushed. Uh, and it really wasn't even an ambush. It was an IED strike. Barely caused any damage to them. Popped the tires on an ASV. And I moved to the sound of the guns and I pulled my two truck unarmored, like 1025 Humvees with uh, a machine gun uh, and no doors uh, through the backside of a 40 plus man ambush. And the angry bees of tracers that were flying by our trucks for us six dudes versus those 40 dudes um, switched uh, the light for me that I, I really screwed up and it could have been a lot worse. We ended up losing one of our NCOs uh, to shrapnel from the first RPG they shot at us, uh, almost took his ring finger off. Uh, Sergeant Sofal saying uh, he ended up retiring as a, as a master sergeant after his first sergeant time. Um, because I was smart enough to, to know my medevac route, but man, I almost screwed up because I was focused on everyone else's job but mine. Right. And that night um, was a turning point for me that how seriously I had to take my role and let other people do their role. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a very powerful story. Wh which episode is that one in, that story? I think it's, com it's So There I Was, Complex Ambush. Okay, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to listen to that one. Um, yeah, I, I've been listening to the individual stories of your classmates and I, I've just, I'm blown away. I'm blown away by the similarities in the conversations and the commitment to service and the experience of West Point. But I'm also blown away by the differences too, because, you know, your class, the class of 2001 went straight into wars, junior military officers. Um, you know, most of my class, you know, we were at the 10 year mark when that happened. Um, you know, at least half of our class, we were civilians at that point. And those of us that were still in were, um, were, were, you know, basically majors um, in, um, in, in, you know, roles of S3s and XOs and whatnot of battalions. Um, we've had a very different, you know, first 10 years, and which really strikes me like, you know, your, your conversation that you just had with me about that experience and, as well as like the first, every single one of your classmates went to war, basically. I mean, I would say at least probably 95% of your class has, has a, you know, combat, a combat experience. Um, and, uh, and that's way less for my, for my classmates, although it's, you know, you know, it, it is it, for those of us who stayed in for a career, it's, it has had a similar impact and it's been 20 years of war, but really powerful to me. I think that probably 
that cauldron of pressure and um, experience really galvanizes your class probably more so than than any other class uh, that is possible, you know, so incredible. It's, it's one of those things that it, it's, you don't know any different um, mm -hmm. because your whole class has that same experience. So it's hard to, um, within a certain time, time group, like 2002, 2003, 2004, um, you can relate because their experiences were similar, but not quite as shocking. Um, right because they did have a, a little bit more preparation knowing what they're walking into because we um, had the LESCO, the large scale combat operations training as um, officer basic course. And when we first went to our units, so really the preparation for stability ops and what we saw in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, it was a lot of translating that, that high intensity combat to a lower intensity combat role and mindset. Versus almost everyone else had a little bit um, more of a ramp up or roll up to get ready for that. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine like the, the complete kind of change of perspective when you're all at OBC or Bolick, whatever they're calling it at that time. Uh, and then nine 11 kicks off because it was 101 days after your graduation that nine 11 happened and suddenly shit got real, real fast. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, these textbooks and these classes you're going through in OBC that a lot of times probably, you know, uh, you, you're tending to want to just kind of like do the minimum. Next thing you know, it's like you're really having to focus on everything because it's about it's about be about leading soldiers in combat in a few more months. Right. Well, it is also that whipsaw. So um, I remember hearing stories about uh, professors who were in uh, West Point and their butt battle buddies went to Grenada. Uh, General Abizade and his crew that went to Grenada and the whole thing pops off and ends in a matter of days. Then right. Panama happens and then pops off ends in a matter of days. Even the Persian Gulf War in 91, a uh, matter of a hundred days. And you hear that in the interviews from our classmates quite a bit. It's like, we missed out. And so for my armor officer brethren, for my heavy brethren, we saw Afghanistan happening and it was like, oh, this is a light infantry fight. And so we'll never go to Afghanistan. And this, this thing looks like it's getting wrapped up. It looks like it's going to be on the downslope. Uh, we don't see nation building. We don't see peacekeeping for 20 years. We see, all right, that's going to be over. It's a one-off. We missed our right. Grenada. We missed our Panama. Yeah. So I mean, I remember we, we, our classmates had similar perspectives because a lot of us were in schooling at that time. We were in like, you know, ROTC at jobs, teaching at West Point and everybody wanted to move to the sound of the guns and we're like we're stuck I, I remember one of my classmates casey lazard he's a um, special forces officer he was in um, language school and he was you know trying the best that he could to get out of language school to get to get back to his unit and again the same thought was well we're not gonna be there for very long we got to get there and um you know with the hindsight of you know gulf war one grenada and panama um, and even like, I, I mean, um, we had Bosnia too in, the, in our hindsight as well. It was a different kind of operation, but um, yeah. And then, um, you know, I, I myself, I mean, I was a civilian, right? And like, you have this, this guilt of like, I've been trained to do all this work and my country obviously needs me. And what the hell am I doing watching this on CNN? This is, this is horrible. And, 
And, um, you know, I got mobilized. I, I ended up going back in the army, um, through the, uh, through the reserves, but, uh, you know, I, I was stateside. I, I wasn't, I wasn't anywhere, you know, in the near, near the, near the front, but, um, it was good to at least be back, you know, in a role that I felt like I was doing something that, um, mattered, but, um, you know, a lot of our classmates, you know, a lot of our classmates had just gotten out after serving nine and 10 years. They're in grad school, they're doing whatever, and then this happens. And so that's a, that is a common touch point that both of our classes have. Well, I think everybody that from the, from the military has a perspective of what were you doing during 9-11 and like, how did that affect you? And I think that, I saw that with the, the lieutenants that I served with. I had a, a, a young engineer lieutenant, Mike Nuclo, when I was in Korea, and he was a um, an investment trader, and he was doing specifically like performance enhancing, basically um, uh, vitamins and supplements, and he was doing that uh, with a master's degree, and he was doing that down in Florida, and he stopped what he was doing, um, and and commissioned to be an officer, and he comes to me in Korea. And I'm taking a knee from two deployments, uh, setting up for two ID division staff and being pre preparing to be an armor company commander. And this kid who came to fight um, in the military and to serve overseas in combat is in Korea and is like, man, I missed it. <laughs> and then Mike eventually went to Europe and, and he did some stuff deployed from Europe uh, to go to uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. But there was that that constant fear, even into 2008, 2009, that you missed the window of of the good fight. And I could definitely see from the perspective of a 90s era West Pointer that if you got out after company command or your initial service obligation, that how do I um, continue to serve? And it's one thing that our, our classmates also struggle with. They, they finish their initial service obligation. They have family concerns. They have family commitments and some of them are just worn out and the yeah. decision i i don't know if i can keep pace with what the army is asking me to do right now but i still want to serve and you hear that in their interviews is how do they redefine success and how they redefine service that's sustainable for them over the, the remainder of their lifetime because yeah. so, some people i mean you, you can hear it in the interviews they go to the wheels pop off and that's probably, that's not sustainable. So how do you find that right balance? Yeah, I do hear that. And I identify with that significantly. I, I, I think it was your, your interview with Mike Gruber. He talked about how he, you know, got out, but he wanted to go into the police force. Wanted to do, like wanted, wants to be connected to some kind of like higher purpose. And I, I felt the same way. I, mean, I, I ran businesses. I was like all involved in, in for-profit businesses. And always felt like I needed to connect to some greater good. I mean, I was making products that went into the military. That was my, one of my, um, you know, justify, I, one of my methods of justification of how I had a purpose. Uh, but then when I, I got out of that business, I sold it. Um, and then I moved into nonprofit. I felt like, oh, now I'm, now I'm whole again. Now I'm actually like working to, to end homelessness for veterans, which is what I, which is what I've been doing for the last eight years. But I kind of slowly regained through working in neighborhoods of concentrated poverty and seeing the lack of economic opportunity. I regained this real uh, appreciation for the value of for-profit business in in terms of the overall purpose. It's it's kind of uh, you know if, if you don't have people 
taking risks, you know, uh, paying taxes, making money, employing people, you got nothing else. So, you know, if, if, if ever there's a, like a vocation that matters where you need West Point leadership and, you know, leaders of character, uh, it is in, you know, real world life, you know, running businesses, you know, managing teams, um, you know, being literally parents and all that stuff. I mean, like that all carries through. So like uh, some people discount that service as like uh, not really measuring up compared to, you know, maybe being a battalion commander. But the reality of it is not everybody gets to be a battalion commander and you need people to move like, you know, it's, a, it's an upwardly, it's a, it's a up and out kind of a, of a, of an organization. You need people to be kick-ass junior leaders and then move up and out. And so anyway, I, I, uh, I've come to be at greater peace with the concept of um, being a capitalist and making money as a result of my last eight years working in nonprofit. I think there's a, a lot with what you said there. Um, and, and, there's an element of, of staying sharp. There's an element of, like you talked about risk, um, that in government, um, and in the military, the one thing that keeps you sharp is that fear, fear of not getting the next promotion, fear of not pulling your weight and the team being let down. But that fear is also tied to important tasks that you, you see your purpose in accomplishing something bigger than yourself. And too often we, we discount in the for-profit space how big of an impact that those uh, companies, whether it's a GE, whether it's an Amazon, whether it's a Disney, even, even the value of a Disney in motivating people to aspire to their dreams, that art has an indelible impact on people's lives for giving them passion and purpose. And we forget that, well, they're just doing it for money. I'm like, no, they're not. In order to make money, you have to sell dreams. You have to sell ideas. You have to sell a product. Mm -hmm. And you have to risk to do that. And you have to uh, create a team to do that. And you have to put in long hours. And you have to do iteration after iteration after iteration. Same stuff we do in the military. Um, but the one thing we don't do in the military is we don't, worry as much about the budget and so sometimes our focus is on the, the the people and the material and not the budget and then you have to do both you have to focus on the budget sometimes and say all right if we had to do this with less how would we do that and that creates innovation and some of the best students i ever had were during sequestration where we had to do training and we didn't have enough resources and you saw these junior ncos these junior officers come up with these great ideas how can we do this better or just as good with less? You want to be careful not to have that published too much because they'll, they'll end up sequestering <laughs> money again. What a disaster that was. Ridiculous. I mean, from a uh, contractor side of things, I, I saw that, you know, I was supplying chem yeah. lights. I, I made the chem lights for all of DOD back in the day. So that was my company. Um, and so I, I saw sequestration, how that affected our business. It was not a good thing. Um but anyway, so how did you come up with the idea of doing a podcast? Because like, it's not like, like we independently came up with this, we created this, and I discovered your podcast because I just somebody referred me to. Um, I'm I'm Facebook friends with one of your classmates, and I saw them. It was uh, Laura Wesley who has got this book called War Virgin, 
And I yep. was like, oh my God, there's something exactly like the old grad podcast for this class 10 years younger than us. So how did you come up with it? So um, I was coming back from OIF1 and I was in a chow hall in Kuwait as we were turning our vehicles in. And a um, an old grizzled GS came down, sat down with, with me from the the Army History Foundation. I still have the wooden pog he gave me and took my oral history uh, for what I saw during that deployment to Iraq. And I saw all the units turning in their zipper hard drives and I, and I saw that stuff and I was like, man, at some point the Army's going to come out and they're going to tell the stories of all these great units and tell the stories of everything we've done. And I've been sitting and waiting and I haven't seen it. Um, and then fast forward um, to last uh, January, uh, February. And I start doing my, um, my interviews with my classmates, um, as I prepare to retire and say, all right, what do I want to do when I grow up? And I ended up having all these interviews with my classmates about, Hey, how do you like working for this company? How do you like working, uh, as a GS? How do you like working as a contractor? And I ended up, the more people I talked to, the more time I would spend telling someone else what I talked to somebody else about. And I realized over and over again that we are in these silos of, I may be talking to two or three of my West Point classmates, but I'm, there's no way in heck that everyone's spending the time to understand even a, a, a representative sample of what our class has been up to and what we've done. Mm. And, and so I was like, if I'm going to be doing all these interviews to figure out what I want to do with my life, wouldn't it be helpful if I taped them? And then shared them. And I was like, what, how do you do that? And um, podcasting was the easiest way because now it's open source. It'll never go anywhere. As long as the internet still exists, you could find this and you could find, you can dial in, Hey, what did Jaron Morton do? Mm -hmm. What, what has he done for the last 25 years? Why did he go to West Point? What was his highs and his lows at West Point? And that's the goal is before our 25th reunion, to have 250 interviews. I'm not crazy enough to think that all 906 of our graduates are going to um, stick out their necks and, and do open kimono and, and talk about all their struggles and all their um, ups and downs over 25 years. But hopefully wow. 250 will. That's a, that is a big number, 250. Um, and you're doing one a week, which is just incredible torrid pace as far as I can tell. I mean, it is, I, I, I'm trying to do one or two a month and it's been it's been tough to keep up with that. What's your process for stay, like staying in touch with classmates and getting them to get in line? Do you have a pre-call ahead of it? Do you like how do you figure this out? Like your 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 arc of your story. So um, when I got to West Point, I got to West Point on a hope and a prayer, and it's all about like faking it till you make it. And the podcast itself. Uh, when I got the idea, first thing I did is we have a, a 2001 Facebook group for our class. And if you want to succeed in anything, the first thing you have to do is you have to publicly state, hey, this is my insight. This is my goal. That way people can hold you accountable. Like, I don't want to show up to the 25th reunion and was like, hey, Joe, that podcast you said you were going to do. I never even saw one. So by stating publicly, hey, this is what I wanted to do. I create that imaginary pressure. The second thing is I reached out to the class and say, who? I need to earn trust. Who are the, the first adopters? And in every group, there's that dude that's going to wait outside for 30 weeks to get that new iPhone. Um, so those first adopters came in and man, I, Tyler Van Horn was my first episode and his story 
um, of becoming an infantry officer, going to special forces and working in one of the elite units of special forces and how he felt like he was not pulling his weight in the best of the best of the best that the military asks in the world. That story, I think, resonates with a lot of people because of how open and honest he is in that interview. Mm-hmm. And it set the precedent for everyone afterwards that, hey, if, if Tyler can share his concerns, his struggles, maybe I can too. Maybe it's yeah. not just me reading a resume or highlighting the high points of my life, but talking about the low points and everything in between. Do you have folks who basically say, don't interview me because my I'm too I'm too boring. I don't have a, I don't have an exciting enough story. I do all the time. Yeah, um, me too. Me too. <laughs> and my, my point is, listen, I guarantee you, you have a story. Guaranteed. Like, I, I will pull it out of you. Like, everybody has a story. Everybody has a story of purpose, of, of trial, of tribulation, of, of conflict, of, 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 you know, like, everybody has that story. And it could be, it doesn't even need to be about the Army. It could be about anything. And it doesn't need to be like you doesn't need to be open the kimono, like be super vulnerable. I'm going to break you down on this thing. It's about just t- telling your story. The one way I, I got through that, um, Tom Morley, great interview with him. Oh, my uh, God, the best. I listened to it. Very, very good. Well done. Uh, so Tom um, didn't have a great experience. Uh, he was an aviator that his second deployment. Um, he was on the ground. And he was doing as a as a uh, a unit logistics officer, supply officer, and he he didn't agree with some of the things we were doing. And he came out of the army and he left, uh, got his MBA, um, and he just couldn't find his purpose. And he, mm-hmm. he he wandered until he he had the opportunity to work for the UN Health Organization. And yeah. he was worried about sharing his story that he was um, that all these guys with pointy sticks and rocks that we throw at bad guys would not understand what his life story was about and how he transitioned to the other side with a different tool to help build and feed and to care for the poor. And I had to do, uh, I think it was like a a 90 minute pre-interview and it was absolute gold, uh, talking to him while he's in Egypt, uh, at some ungodly time in the day. Um, and Tom, that was where I earned the trust with Tom. And so, for a lot of my classmates, if they're initially reluctant, um, number one, I, there's no pressure whatsoever. I say, okay, if, if you're not interested now, that's fine. I'm going to leave it as an open invitation. Uh, and I send them the uh, Calendly link that if they want to schedule it for, for the week prior to our 25th reunion, they can be that guy or gal. And I'll do it mm-hmm. the week prior to our, the other parts that pre-interview. And, and we have that discussion and I'll do an outline if I think there's, if, if they're, if they're on the fence, I'll do an outline and say, okay, here's where you did this. Here's where you did that. Tell me through, tell me this, this, why, why did you make this decision? And I, I saw you had a very strong relationship with your, your dad or your mom. Did you reach out to them at this point? And did that help you shape? Cause this looked like a risk. And, and, and when you have that discussion of the why or Man, you went from I've got a, an upcoming one next week where I had a, an an armor enlisted soldier who became a aviation officer who became a PA. Why are you making these transitions? And then these are hard transitions. How did you do this at this point? 
that really allows someone to open up and, and share the story on how do they do something difficult. And it gives them pride in sharing that. Yeah, I think that's a great technique. Uh, do you have like a, a form that they fill out ahead of time? I, I use this pre-call template form that just, it's like a bullet points to get ideas of different stories, story of purpose, you know, how many hours you walk, setbacks, that kind of stuff. Do you have something like that too? I do. And, and really the big part for me is I want to make it as easy as possible for my, my classmates to tell their story. So I'll do like a LinkedIn stock or a Facebook stock. Uh, if I'm going to do a pre-interview, if I'm going to do an interview with them, I'll, I'll do that. Um, and it, just one pager, why West Point, um, what you do it while you're at West Point. I, I use my howitzer for most of those questions. And then I list what they say on their public profile for LinkedIn. It's like, okay, military service for five years, 10 years, 15 years, uh, civilian service. And here's what you did. Here's what you say you did. And then talk me through. And you can, it's real it's really interesting to see what's open source, but also after a while, um, and I, I don't, I, I know HRC uh, people who do hiring uh, or people who read ORBs can start to, to read the tea leaves, but you can, you can read a lot in someone's uh, resume or in their ORB or whatever it is to see their life story. The real thing you can't see is the whys and the hows. And so those que the questions I ask are the whys and the hows. And then you can see if you, is there a theme or a tone to your life? What drives those decisions? And for a lot of people, that either reinforces, yep, that's how I've been making decisions, or it's something they hadn't reflected upon. And it's and it's interesting to hear that feedback for them is like, wow, that's that's a new way to see how I make these decisions. Adam Latham, when I said uncomfortable honesty, like throughout his whole interview. Uh, from his dad telling them, is like, you're not the smartest of my two kids. You're going to have to go to college. <laughs> you're going to have to get paid by somebody else because I can't do it. That's another uh, one I listened to. I, I was blown away by that one. When he talked about how he got up in front of his, I think his battalion commander, and he said, yep. I'm going to go in for mental health counseling. I need that. And he said, like, he brought 19 people with him at the same time. Like, I was like, wow, what a leader. Incredible. Incredible story that he had. Um, yeah. Wow. Just incredible. And Adam is, is one of those very humble, very selfless kind of guys. And you want to lead, you, you want to follow him because he's so, so honest and humble, but confident. And uh, that uncomfortable honesty, I thought was such a great title to it. And uh, when I sent it to him, like he, he didn't even blink. He's like, that's a perfect go with that. And I thought it might've been a, a two, because everyone wants to say like the warrior monk or some crazy kind of Petraeus uh, label on them as a leader. And, and Adam, he's like uncomfortable. Honestly, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That was really good. How many of these, how many of these folks did you know at West Point well versus not know at all versus knowing like, you know, like in passing? I, I would say um, I was not a social butterfly but I moved in circles that allowed me to see a lot of people. So I was a company commander and a first sergeant uh, while at West Point. Um, I was a prior service with a, a crew member badge and air assault on my chest from day one. And so if you're six foot two and you're 210 and you've got a crew member badge, the only guys that stick out more than prior service with badges are like prior service with a ranger tab. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people knew of me, but, uh, I think it was a smaller number that knew me. Were you, and so, were you in the prep school? 
No, I didn't. Um, okay. So I had a, uh, a direct appointment from enlisted, huh. um, road to West point is the, so there I was road to West point is my story. Uh, and I, I explain it in there. Um, okay. I was supposed to go to ROTC at Embry riddle in Prescott, Arizona about, I think it was a month prior to graduation from high school, the DOD ME, uh, Dodmer DOD medical evaluation Re- review board said I had asthma. Right. So they pulled my, my three-year scholarship away. And I'm sitting there a month out from graduation. I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> um, so I'm a preacher's kid. My dad doesn't make a lot of money. And I didn't know where I was going to do. I didn't know where I was going to go. And I enlisted. Um, and I enlisted to the, to the UH-1 helicopter. <laughs> no future whatsoever. It was the second to last class to be trained on how to maintain the UH-1 helicopter. Right. And... Um, I report to my first unit. My first unit is the, um, the cadet support detachment uh, at Fort Stewart or at Stewart Army Airfield outside West Point. And so there was helicopters in Japan, NTC, and Fort Hood at the time. And the only other place was West Point. So I come as an E2 um, to support West Point with our firefighting mission, the cadet parachute mission, and uh, their VIP mission. And it just so happened at the time that the regular army recruiter, a guy named Major Brandon, uh, was a pilot maintaining his flight status um, and recruiting future cadets for West Point. Wow. It's just total serendipity. Incredible. Oh, yeah. What an incredible story. Yeah. And so that's how I went from graduating high school in 96 to walking into West Point in 97, 11 months later. Yeah. You know, um, thinking about the classmates, so I, I have had the myriad of people that I've known well and people that I don't know at all, right? And I think that uh, the chemistry is no different, really. It's just because we're just all classmates. So th- th- there's one woman that I interviewed. I didn't know her at all. It was one of my best interviews, I think. Um, and, um, you know, it it, uh, it was it was really just um, about her story. She's a great storyteller. And I think, um, you know, we, we just really hit it off, but I think, um, you know, there's, there's another thing that people say, like, we have a couple high profile classmates that, um, have big jobs. And so people like, Oh, why don't you get so-and-so on? Like, you know, we have the Anthony Noto who's the CEO of, uh, SoFi. Uh, and then we also have like, obviously we've got several general officers that are on active duty, and we've got the head of the FBI and, and this, uh, the Supreme Court Marshal who just issued this report on the um, on the breach of uh, uh, the Roe v. Wade, um, you know, the, the Dodd uh, Dod decision or whatever. And mm-hmm. so but all those people you can't have on because they're, they're in the public light. You know, they're, they're they and I've I've even with my classmates that were on active duty, like um, Mark Beeger, who was the. Uh, chief of staff at West Point, very, very guarded. You know, my classmate, Moose George, who was a one-star, he he, he actually did it as on active duty, but, um, you know, we were very careful about staying, you know, like within the lines in terms of what we're going to be talking about because they don't want to say something and end up like having to, you know, explain themselves to a public affairs officer, officer or something. So do you have, you have some of that reticence as well? Because you have a lot of classmates who are still on active duty. So I... Um... The reticence for some is out there. Um, I have uh, one guy, um, 
I'm in the process of getting a, a review um, from the three-letter agency he works for uh, to make sure that we can release the interview. So we ran into this, and I think the best example is Star High. So Star mm -hmm. High um, worked for the State Department, in, um, and I'm going to screw it up, um, basically the security and yeah. the processing of um, immigrations. Yes. Another, oh, by the way, another incredible powerful interview i mean, I was moved to tears listening to that story incredible story of 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 managing uh the last few days of afghanistan uh for the state department right right and so what we did with star was the same thing is is we did the interview i gave her the edited version that i wanted to release uh we had the pao and the jag at the state department review it before we released it and I think we ended up cutting like three words. I was, I, I said one country I wasn't supposed to say. <laughs> right. And uh, there was two specific locations uh, at the Kabul airport they didn't want us to talk about. Um, all logistics, nothing like high TSS level stuff. It was just, we're not going to talk about this country and we're not going to talk about um, these locations within Kabul airport. And that was perfectly understandable. We, we cut those parts and we were able to release a very powerful story um, and the way she tells that um, again, I, I, I hope it comes through because man, I was moved at the same time that we were interviewing it. Yeah, it was incredible. Uh, you know, I, I guess that is one of the primary differences between our podcast because I'm doing mine live on our Facebook page and I'm responding to comments that people, you know, chat into people, uh, which is fun. Uh, to have the live aspect of it, but that's that's another reason why these higher profile folks just can't do it. Uh, maybe if I did it privately with them, there'd be a way to do it uh, and get it released, and that may be something I consider for the next version of this. So, um, but by the way, do you do you work in concert with your class scribe uh, in terms of getting these stories somehow, uh, um, you know, um, put into put into paper? So what we're doing now, um, we're looking at it as a class on how we move forward after this first season. Um, okay. We may be sponsoring this to, to uh, increase the quality of some of the, uh, the audio and, and, and provide uh, transcripts. Um, right. that, that way, if another uh, classmate or someone outside of the class would like to turn these podcasts into a book or some other easily sortable way, that we could do that. So that's a step we're looking for as a class. Uh, for the most part, this has been an endeavor between myself and my, my older brother um, with the approval of our class leadership. Um, mm. But it may transition uh, to more support in, in season number two. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've done like 40 or 50 interviews and uh, you're still in your first year. I've done the same amount. and I've been doing it for going on completing my fourth year here, I think almost five years, uh, or going into my fifth year soon. Uh, so you're, you're, you're way ahead of me in terms of the pace, the op tempo. And, uh, but in, in, you've done a, a tremendous job. I mean, I, I, I just love listening to it. I've, I've passed it along to several of my classmates. I know that there's some overlap, you know, in terms of people's service in the, in the army, you know, the 10 year gap, you tend to have people that are you know, uh, company commanders when you're a battalion commander or a battalion commander when you're a, you know, division commander or something. But there are, uh, it, it, I'm sure there's a lot of overlap between our classes. Oh, definitely. And we had our discussions uh, uh, 
uh, Colonel Jim Eisenhower was my brigade commander. Uh, Colonel D.A. Sims was my chief of staff when I was at 4ID. There's that overlap. Um, and a lot of times you work with a West Pointer, but you don't know the class. Um, or you work with an officer and you don't even know they're a West Pointer. And right. so I think um, sometimes we, we, we try not to um, fulfill the, uh, the impression that a lot of people have that West Pointers only look out for West Pointers, that there's that ring knocker uh, thing. Uh, and that's definitely true outside the military. Um, but I think we fight really hard inside the military not to have that appearance or not to have that impression that that's how we deal with people. So I think from my perspective, uh, I've not looked real close at who is or who is not a West Point graduate on the inside to make sure I don't uh, cross that line and have that perception of impropriety. Yeah, um, I, I think uh, I think that's right. I think that's right. And also about when you get out, I think there is this, you know, this connection. I mean, like, like, I feel like listening to your podcast, I was like, you know, this is like a, a brother from another mother. I'm listening to this guy. Like, I feel like he's like, he's 10 years, my junior, but wow. I'm just like digging the stories and hearing everything. Like, wow, this is like incredible. But I think that that, that bond that exists across all classes. And because we've got this, this common commitment to serve and this, and this common story and common beginning, you know? Um, so, uh, trying to think what other so what are you doing now what, what you're you're out right you're not in the army anymore but you're working but you work for the uh like a dod contractor or something no 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 um so let me get that 100 clear is i i'm on the last six months of my transition so um right now i'm i'm starting an internship uh and then i will be doing my final out processing and then i'll be doing my terminal leave so okay. i'm six six months out four months of internship uh and then two weeks to out process and then I'll be out, out. Okay. Um, and that's, Absolutely. that's really what was that final kind of, uh, transition to the podcast was when I started doing those interviews on what do I want to do when I grow up? Uh, so it will be 23 years, this, uh, July 31st when I get out. Wow. Congratulations. What's your internship where you're going to be doing that? So Tilson technologies, which is a telecom company based out of Maine. Um, really, uh, emerging sector and it's a mid-sized, uh, tele, telecom company that's really growing across the United States. They've opened up a couple of big contracts in Vegas uh, and moving west, I think Idaho, and they're, they're looking to expand out to Alaska. Um, I'm like, why did I, why do I know that company? It's because you interviewed somebody else, a classmate who at either had worked there or works there now, right? The woman that worked for, uh, she worked Adria for Horn. Collins, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so Adria Horn is really I didn't even know uh, Tilson exists because it was my, primarily a Northeastern based. And I didn't know that there was opportunities to work for that company until I talked to Adria. Mm -hmm. um, but she was really helpful because as you, as you, as you look like, man, there's this cornucopia. There's uh, the discussion we had with Brad Hunstable and other classmates was there's this buffet of opportunities in the world and you really have to narrow down. There's only so much time. And the army teaches you West point teaches you, to be a great generalist. And so you could probably do a hundred different jobs and be successful, but would you be happy? And then that's, that's why I really like the interviews because you're pulling it out. What is success? What is this selfless service? And if you didn't get it in this part of your, your, your life, whether it's, well, I, I had it as a platoon leader, but I didn't feel it in, as a ca captain, and that's why I left. Or I, I, I feel, felt it as a captain, and then I hit field grade, and 
the role I was asked to do as a field grade didn't match my experience as, as a commander and a platoon leader being on the ground. And I, I lost that, that feeling of service. And that's why I left. I think a lot of us, um, after the transition to the civilian life, it's how do I still do that? And we still, we have classmates who do nonprofits as a side gig while they're doing their for-profit job to scratch that itch. And it's, it's really interesting and trying to find that out. And so for me, I've tried to narrow down. It's like, okay, um, I could be good at a lot of stuff, but what will scratch that itch? And for me, I miss privates. I miss NCOs. I miss um, getting out in the field and getting dirty. And I, I didn't believe that a remote job or a job in an office would keep me happy. I'd be like ripping that tie off as soon as I was, I, I was out in the parking lot. And so Adria helped me see that the opportunity to work in a company that has a diverse workforce from blue collar to white collar and bridging that gap, Angelo Adams, great interview at Otis Elevator and what uh, he was able to do to bridge the gap between their union employees and their, their front office. That really excited me about, hey, where could I go when I got out? I'm going to listen to that one, that, the, the uh, elevator story. That sounds like a pretty, pretty good one for me to hear as well. Angelo is a rock star. Absolute solid, solid gold personnel. Um, signal officer got out. He grew up kind of in a, um, a structured uh, military school in Philadelphia before he went to West Point. And the role his family played and the role of teamwork in his life, I think he was a 150s uh, football player too. Um, he's given back so much to West Point for recruiting, um, in underserved areas. And then also what he's doing with Zipcar now, once he left at Otis, Angelo is a great human being, uh, very inspirational. Yeah. I gotta say though, I mean, unpacking a little bit further, this, this concept of, of, um, of service and having to have a higher purpose and a mission. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, a little, you know, not exactly 10 years older than you, but I've been down, been down this path. I mean, I was, um, as I mentioned, I was, I was very involved in, in for-profit business, private, private equity type back businesses, focus on the bottom line, focus on shareholder value, focus on making money and, and kind of thinking to myself, like trying to connect the dots. Oh, well, we're making, we're making military, you know, chem lights in the military. Oh, we're making the materials that go into the joint strike fighter. But at the end of the day, I'm like, the only thing that really matters here. It's whether we're delivering shareholder value. And that really didn't like excite me. And I was like, I, you know, once I, once I had the opportunity to move on, I was like, I'm going to go into nonprofit. I'm going to save the world. I'm going to end veteran homelessness. I'm going to build, you know, like all this kind of stuff. I was like, I'm going to be connected. And in fact, actually, my story was that I went back to West Point when I was first working there. I sat on the plane in the soups box and I was like looking out at the, you know, the, the whole facade of West Point. I was like, I'm back. I'm, I'm back in, in balance with the universe. Uh, it's kind of a joke too. I, you wouldn't know this, but when we were, when we were cadets, there's like, they moved the, um, they moved the superintendent's reviewing stand and this um, general Palmer had like, they spent like a, a shit ton of money, like a million dollars. And they moved the way that the stands were on the, on the plane because it wasn't symmetrical to Washington hall. 
and he wanted to be symmetrical, right? That was like, and it was a big joke. It was like, it was in the hundredth night um, <laughs> play and everything it was like, how does the general spend so much money moving the friggin' stands to get West Point to be in balance? But I was like, I sat in that Zeus box. I'm like, I'm in balance with the universe. I am, I'm back part of this higher mission, right? I've got this eight years experience working in neighborhoods of concentrated poverty, seeing, you know, that the, one of the biggest factors that cause people to be, you know, disenfranchised and become homeless is lack of economic opportunity, which goes back to what I was doing before. Right. Yep. I mean, like there is nothing wrong with making money and driving businesses and employing people it is the most important thing that our society needs. Cause you, if you don't have that, you got nothing. So if you're leading some like organization, that's just like focus on the bottom line, that's okay. Because that bottom line is employing people, it's paying taxes, it's paying for a military. Maybe some of the money's going into nonprofits so that they can do profit driven, like nonprofit driven work. I am all about the Benjamins. I'm all about the Benjamins. And, and, and for a different reason than just, you know, needing to have a purpose. Because I just see that as like it's what keeps it keeps the world's keep, keeps the world spinning is being able to make money. That's my new perspective so on life. Yeah, it, but you're right. It's that balance between the two. Um, and sometimes uh, doing some of the nonprofit can also crush your soul, even if it feeds your soul at the same time. Yeah. So in 2013 to 2015 was my KD time. And um, flashback to the birth of my daughter, um, my wife had a very complicated surgery uh, after the fact. Um, and they basically said, um, your three kids, that's it. You can't have any more. Um, and that was okay ish for about four years. And then it's like everything else in life. When someone tells you you can't do it, you you start to struggle and you're like, man, I don't like that. I don't like being told I can't have any more kids. And, um, I was in my KD job. Um, we had seen a couple of our peers who had fostered and who had adopted, and I really struggled with my battalion commander. I couldn't communicate with him. And it felt like every day I was showing up to work, um, I was not having success. And my wife was frustrated that I was spending 12 hours, 14 hours, 16 hours at work. And I would come home just as grumpy as the, the, the moment I left. And we started doing fostering to give her some fulfillment and to give me some success outside of work. Because you can't always guarantee you're going to have a great boss. Um, and you can work your darndest off and you can have a positive influence. But in the end, sometimes uh, it, it, that one person, that one toad in the road can make it just miserable. And we had a young foster boy named Johnny um, who was living on the streets for six months, whose mom was addicted to meth and his dad was thrown in jail for fighting in bars because he was an alcoholic. And we took him in our house for 15 months. And he had so many medical issues and so many behavioral issues. Um, but we were able day by day, week by week, and month by month to check off and, and help solve and, and fix just a small portion of those problems for him. Wow. And at the, end of those, at the end of that 15 months, um, we gave him back to his mom and his dad. His dad was out of jail. Um, he had worked on his alcohol problems. 
His mom was in rehab. And although I was still struggling at work, I had not fixed that relationship with my boss, even though I tried very, very hard. Um, I was able to have success in another, in another uh, endeavor and demonstrate value. And I think sometimes you have to do that is you have moments in your life where you, you can't make progress in this Y axis, but you can have multiple lines of effort. And so put more time or put more effort or put your soul into the one where you can have a difference or make an advantage and move forward. And Johnny for us did that. Is it, it got us through that period and we had success, even though it wasn't where I wanted to have success. Wow. Well, and you made a huge difference in that kid's life. That's, that's incredible. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, like there, there's the work is just one thing in your life. You know, you, you're, you're a dad, you got, you know, your husband, you're, you got, you got, you know, you're a citizen, uh, you know, you're a son and a brother and whatever, like there's all these different roles that you got to try to like, you know, if West Point gives you something, it's like, how do you show up in those spaces and, and be the best that you can be in the, in, in, in all of those roles, you know, like you're, you're member of squad kind of role, you know? Um, well, anyway, um, well, dude, I, I have to tell you, I, I gotta, I gotta run in just a little bit, but I have really enjoyed talking to you. Um, and I, as I mentioned, we're recording this and, you know, if either one of us wants to use any portion of it to like co-promote or do something on the different podcasts and, talk about the purpose of, of our podcast. That's great. I mean, I, I've been inspired by listening to you. Cause I, I think I mentioned that, that you may have listened to my end of 2022 thing. And I, once my 30 year reunion was over, we, we hit our goal, which was the real purpose of my doing the podcast. I lost my motivation. I was like, this is just kind of a grind. Uh, but now I'm kind of re-inspired, especially listening to people like your classmates and what, you know, hearing, hearing their stories, it makes me, uh, even more uh, committed to getting the stories of my classmates out there uh, for, you know, who's, who's ever going to do this podcast with me. So thank you for inspiring me. And thank you. Cause one of the areas I haven't focused enough on um, is the West point experience. And that's the one thing when I listen to your podcast and, and the stories is the level of depth. Um, sometimes we kind of gloss over at, uh, at the macro level. Um, and I don't get into those deep stories, those deep West Point experiences. And I need to get into those because some of those are, are just absolutely hilarious. The one where I almost missed jumping into Mikey Stadium and ended up uh, landing in, in, in uh, Fort Putnam in front of a, a group of Japanese tourists because I was on the skydiving team and I missed my turn. Um, that's a great story I love to tell. And, and we have so many classmates that have other stories at West Point that although um, – sometimes the the context isn't there for someone that's outside of the class having those stories and reconnecting those memories uh helps pull people together and i can hear that in your podcast when you talk to your classmates and they, they talk about um that one cadet who stood up during the and asked general schwarzkopf uh was it to go to uh to go drink at the, yeah. At the university club yeah john Keenan. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah just great was... stories like that and it's, it's those things that are just awesome. Like it, and it's unique and you remember that character and that person is like, man, that guy was, a, was crazy. I love that guy. Yeah. Yeah. He, he really, he, he was a great first podcast that that was when I was coming up the concept, 
We said, what's what's the one person, the one event that we can all recollect at the same time? And so he was gracious enough to be my first guest, and it, that kind of got us going on this on this momentum moving forward. So, and it's those things I, I'm I'm going to try to make sure I, I flesh out a little bit better in our interviews uh, going yeah. forward. You know, I, I the, another interesting thing is I've interviewed a few December grads. And, um, you know, and the last one was actually a turnback, which, which was interesting. And I've had some people, we have a few classmates that are a few ex-classmates that are on our Facebook page that want to go on and tell their, their story about leaving West Point. And so I'm going to get one of those perspectives as well at some point. Um, but I think that um, the December grad uh, identity is something that's uh, of, of interest, too, that you should think about. Um, try to get the whole the whole perspective, you know. It, it's it's a hard one for us. We've got a couple classmates. Um, so I did do an interview with uh, Tori Searles that's coming up. Um, he was a class of 2000. Um, and he had a he was the first college kid from his uh, family, first college kid from his community, highly recruited to all the academies. Um, and he came to West Point with a lot of pressure and he refused to ask for help. And when he struggled, he kind of made bad choices ends up um, making a bad comment at the White House. And because he makes a bad comment at the White House, the Secret, uh, Secret Service rolls him up. And really? uh, yeah, and uh, General Christman uh, sends him to Fort Sill to be an enlisted soldier for a year. And that story um, of, of him and not reaching out to classmates to try to handle things on his own, and then how the NCOs at Fort Sill um, changed his perspective and helped him to graduate his class of 2001. It's a great story. Yeah. You know, um, speaking of that, you got, you know, a, an interesting story. You got to listen to my, my, um, my interview, my first interview with Kenny Mintz, battalion commander who had a, yeah. So he, he's a battalion commander and he has, um, agreed to take in a cadet who was, um, like, uh, a turn back put him in the army um, for a year and then he can go back to West Point and graduate his senior year. So this guy's a specialist, brings him into the unit. He's excellent. They go to Afghanistan and this kid gets killed in gets killed in action. He's a cadet. He was a cadet, became a specialist and was in the army on this like redemption program. And he dies on, he dies, um, you know, in, in, in this deployment. And Kenny tells that story. And uh, it's 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 um, incredible uh, the, what what he had to uh, just lead through, and um, so he he's a he's a great he's a great one to listen to. I, I actually interviewed him twice. I interviewed him about his story, and then I also interviewed him about his PTSD um, coping uh, story. He walked across the country. He walked from Washington D.C. all the way out to San Diego, and uh, he just completed that um, a few months ago. Uh, so anyway, that's a good one to listen to as well. Definitely. So anyway, my friend, um, uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, you're gonna say something. Oh, I was just gonna say that history repeats itself, um, or it, at least rhymes. And it, it's, it's amazing how much we can gain from hearing the stories of, of our peers and, uh, our peers a decade ahead of us. Yeah. For sure. Well, Nick, if you come out to the East Coast, please let me know. I'd love to get together with you. Um, I'm be, you know, also at West Point, you know, for football games and 
we have a common reunion type year. So we'll probably, you know, be in the same space at some point. My daughter is going to be going to West Point next year. So I'm going to be spending a lot more time there, I think, uh, seeing her. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, Congratulations. Thank I'm, you. I tried to take my daughter to our 20th. I don't know if I've sold her yet. <laughs> I've got some work though. Yeah. Well, I, she's the youngest of four. So I said, you know, we don't have any more money for college. You're going to have to do something. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, well, I, I got to run because I got I got a call at the half hour here, but I have really enjoyed connecting with you. I'm, I'm grateful for what you're doing and um, I look forward to continuing to listen to your podcast and, and sharing ideas and, and um, it's just incredible. So thank you for your service. Thank you. And, and again, thank you for sharing your podcast with us. Uh, I've been sharing it with my classmates as well, Jamie. All right, cool. All right. Well, take care and uh, talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Goodbye. Until duty is done. Yep. Duty shall be done. I'm just trying <laughs> to be a father, raise a daughter and a son. Be a lover to their mother Everything to everyone Up and at them bright and early I'm all business in my suit Yeah, I'm dressed up for success From my head down to my boots I don't do it for the money There's bills that I can't pay I don't do it for the glory I just do it anyway Providing for our futures, my responsibility. Yeah, I'm real good under pressure, being all that I can be. I can't call in sick on Mondays when the weekend's been too strong. I just work straight through the holidays, sometimes all night long. You can bet that I stand ready when the wolf growls at the door. Hey, I'm solid, hey, I'm steady, hey, I'm true down to the core. And I will always do my duty, no matter what the price. I've counted up the cost, I know the sacrifice. Oh, and I don't want to die for you, but if dying's asking me, I'll bear that cross with honor, cause freedom don't come free. I will proudly take a stand When liberty's in jeopardy I will always do what's right I'm out here on the front lines Sleep in peace tonight American soldier Take